hour two of the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. You know what? You keep telling me that you don't want to listen to music, but you're headbanging to Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas. I know the song. I'm aware of what the song is. But it's it's more so because it's also a wrestling theme that I've become familiar with. Whose ah, wrestling theme is this? Am I allowed to say it? I don't think so. Different company. <laughs> the Young Bucks. Yeah, well, you said it, not me. <laughs> I don't... I, Different promotion, but that's... Yeah, yeah, the in, Young Bucks. In the, 2025, nobody in Canada is going to have the rights to anything. So, I mean, don't worry about it. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Netflix got... W, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well... Um, However, for the next um, little while, make sure you still watch it on Smack, Sportsnet. SmackDown God, on the Sportsnet And the programming has been great, by the way. It's it's good programming on Fridays and Mondays. You got to love it. So tune in. So you watch a lot of wrestling. I do. By the sounds of it. I still follow. Yeah, I still follow. Absolutely. I follow, like I follow the stuff on Instagram and whatever. Like I know what's going on. Sorry, I'm clicking my chair. I'm very anxious. Um so I know I what's going you, on. I, I make you anxious. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, no, my wife just sent me a picture of what my daughter's doing right now. It makes me very oh, okay. anxious because right. um, I know I have a mess to clean up when I get home. <laughs> so uh, we will get to some Leafs talk. Just a second here. So I I watch a lot of the big pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Like I'll watch Rumble. I'll yep. watch WrestleMania, sure. Survivor Series, all that stuff. The day-to-day stuff, like there's just too many. And if my wife... If I was watching wrestling instead of watching TV with her when there's not a hockey game on or a basketball game or baseball or whatever, yeah, that wouldn't go over very well. Hmm. It, doesn't, I, I, it doesn't work like that. I indulge. House. I try to follow as much as possible. I'll always pop it on on Mondays and Fridays and keep up. And I, I've got I, I've become uh, reinvested over the last couple of years because there have been a lot of interesting developments in the world of pro wrestling. And not to go on that tangent at all, but yeah, it's... Uh, I like the product, and I think it's fun. And and Jeff Azaparty, our producer, just, just texted. He's like, am I a Cody crybaby? Which is something that The Rock has now coined as his term to describe Cody Rhodes. You're damn right I'm a Cody crybaby. Yeah, me too. Why not? Let Cody Rhodes finish his damn story. Let Cody cook. There we go. All right. So the big the big news of last night, and it was a, I don't want to say super late last night, but it was later la- later for morning show people. How about that? Sure. Uh, I don't Chris know where Tan- you're going with this. Chris oh, Tanev. is it the Tanev thing? Chris okay. Tanev, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no sports that 590 after dark stuff. No, no, there, no, there no. is one thing actually that you reset this, but there was something else of note in the hockey world that I saw as well. Okay. With a Leafs twist to it. Okay. Um, so Chris Tanev is off the board. He goes for a second round pick, a, a prospect in Artem Grushnikov, who you tell me that's not how you say it. Well, no, that's not his full name. Um, and a conditional third. The condition is if Dallas gets to the cup final, which is very plausible at this point in time. So now the Leafs, they got to shift their attention somewhere else. And uh, we'll talk to Luke Fox a little bit more about this in the eight o'clock hour. But, you know, I I said earlier, I don't think the Leafs had any interest in parting with this type of package for Chris Tanev if they could not extend him. If they could extend him, we're having a different conversation. And I think he was amenable to an extension with Toronto. I spoke to someone who said he would be willing to come to Toronto and play here. He's a Toronto guy. And some people say, well, that's obvious. Well, not everybody who's from Toronto wants to come play in Toronto. Let's not forget that. Hello, Rick Nash. Um, so I, I think that I think that there's still an opportunity if the Leafs do not get someone with term to bring in Chris Tanev in the offseason. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that without an extension that they would have been had any interest in this type of package for Chris Tanev. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and maybe that is part of 
part of what the negotiations entailed from Bradtree Living's perspective is, okay, unless I have some level of, or some degree of certainty that I can, we can retain him beyond this season and sign him to an extension, why would I part with meaningful assets when in a few months' time, if even if I am still interested in the player, I can just go out in free agency and potentially pony up a bit of a, you know, a multi-year deal and we can bring him in um, on our own terms. So I, I do think that factors in. The question now becomes, all right, well, what's your pivot? What's the big pivot move now for the Toronto Maple Leafs and how do they adapt? Um, and, and I think that's where things are quite murky because as we know, the market isn't ripe with a bunch of preeminent um, marquee targets that have, that at least we've heard of um, guys, especially on the right side. That was a key thing there with Tanev is a right-handed defenseman. I know Adam Larson's name has been tossed around. David Savard's name has been mentioned as well, which I think he'd be a, a really fun, interesting fit. But that being said, those are guys that also still have, and, and in the case of Savard specifically, still has another year left on his deal. And as such, that's probably going to cost you more. Like we're talking about the acquisition cost for a guy on who's an expiring contract, a pure rental. Well, what would it cost you to go out and get somebody that, whether it's one year or multiple years left on their current contract, to go out and get that kind of player that you can add to your to your blue line that might factor in for not just this postseason run, but what you would hope for it to be multiple years of service in a Toronto Maple Leafs uniform. It's interesting to me, but there is a clear need, and Luke Fox even wrote about this yesterday, and I'm very curious to touch on it with him, but he wrote about it like, their, their biggest flaw is becoming painfully obvious. It's the fact that they're extremely left-handed heavy right now on that blue line, and they're running out of options, and they also don't have a fit for Morgan Riley. Those are the key, key areas of concern right now for the Leafs. So I had a few defensemen that I had circled. So here's the first two that are UF, pending UFAs, and these names have been out there. Matt Dumba and Ilya Labushkin are two UFA pending UFAs that I think that they would have interest in at this moment in time. The Matt Dumba thing is so fascinating to me because they knew that they had a need for a right shot defenseman to play with Morgan Riley, or at least, you know, we kind of had that feeling because the Riley and Brody thing has not worked out. Even last year, it didn't work out yep. to the point where they had to go out and get Luke Shen. They signed John Klingberg to play on this defensive unit. And I never saw the fit there because it did feel like there were a bunch of guys that were kind of like, like John Klingberg was never playing with Morgan Riley. He was a redundancy on. The yeah. Board. And that's why, like, I know why they did it. And I was told why it was because they felt that if they could move the puck better out of the zone, that they wouldn't have to be in their zone as much, which the thought <laughs> process is the thought process is correct. Okay. But you still need someone who's going to play defense. Yeah. Like that's part of the issue. John Klingberg is a very good puck mover. If he, if he, hey, if he's but such a mover, a, great... a mover of people and a mover of your anxiety levels to <laughs> something through the roof when he's in his own zone. Yes, he's definitely a mover. If he's that, if he's such a great puck mover, maybe you should be a forward then. Like the, it's called well, defenseman for a reason. Yes, you're playing, I agree. You're defending more than you are playing on the offensive end of the ice and trying to be a threat in that area of the game. Which is why the Matt Dumba thing made so much sense. Yeah, and, I agree with and that. And he ended up making a little bit less than what John Klingberg did. It was it was very minute. But the point is, is it was less. And so that's the one that kind of didn't make sense. And Matt Dumba was available for a long time. They could have easily had Matt Dumba and they could have offered him the same one-year, $4 million deal as they offered John Klingberg. Now he's available and it might cost you an asset. So I wonder if they just don't circle back because it's kind of like, uh, we're going to try and cover up the mistake that we made in the off season. Like I can't imagine that they do that, 
But if you think that he's going to be the guy that helps, you know, make Morgan Riley better, then you make that deal. Uh, Ilya Labushkin, we're familiar with here yep. when he was dealt to Toronto um, couple a years couple ago. years ago. And he's in Anaheim right now. He's a pending UFA. That would be a guy with some familiarity with the system. So it does fit. Now, the guys with, you know, a year left on their deal after this year, you mentioned two of them, Adam Larson, David Savard. Okay, those two guys make a lot of sense. There's one guy who is plying his trade in San Jose that is a right shot defenseman that has lots of playoff experience that plays a little bit physical. He's a decent puck mover. Jan Ruda mm, mm-hmm. is a guy with a cap hit less than $3 million. Former Pittsburgh guy, if Former I remember. Pittsburgh. Yeah. He played with Tampa Bay. Um, oh, that's right. If yes. I'm not mistaken, he won yes. a Stanley Cup with Tampa Bay. So there's experience there. And a right-handed shot with a year left at a very palatable cap number that if you have, if you bring him in and he has success with Morgan Riley, then I'm okay with, with that. Because I, I think that he is a guy, if, if I'm not mistaken, he may have played with Victor Hedman a bit. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but I think he played with Victor Hedman a bit. So there is, there is something to be said for that. Now, if you are looking at a guy who, you know, plays the left side and you want to take a chance on him playing the right side. That's big and nasty and plays a physical brand of hockey. Uh, Jamie Alexiak is probably the guy that you're looking at. So there are definitely options. It's what you're willing to pay. Now Mm -hmm. Seattle has to make a decision on what they're doing. I, I don't know that Adam Larson gets dealt this year, but as the million dollar man would say, everyone has a price (laughs) so you can make it happen. Uh, I think Adam Larson is probably at the top of the list, especially because he only makes $4 million. So you're, you can, you can really make that work. You can afford it. You'll um, find a way. So those are some of the guys that, that I have kind of, you know, percolating in my brain. And again, a bunch of them have been mentioned like David Amber mentioned David Savard the other day, but more in that, you know, he was a guy that was acquired by Tampa and fit a role. And I was like, oh, David Savard. And then you look it up. Oh, he's got one year left. Oh, David Savard would be a really good fit on this blue line. He does a lot of the same things that Chris Tanev does, actually. And he, the only thing is, is that he he may cost you a little bit more, but he does have the extra year. And again, the cap hit, palatable. I think that's the important thing here. Is yes. if, he, if, he come, if a guy comes in, you know, with one year left, it's got to be a number that you can manage. And I think you can manage $4 million or less. Almost similar to the Jake McCabe trade from last year where you felt really good, not just about the player that you were getting, but the contract, the fact that there was an additional year still attached to it, it made you... And Chicago ate some of the money. Yes, and and so so you felt certainly, the word you used, it, it felt palatable to fit him into your cap equation, let alone from a performative standpoint, placing him on your blue line. The question I have for you, Maddie, then is, and, and I'm going to flip it differently here. Okay, so I think you laid out some interesting options there. Um, and, and speaking of David Savard, Luke Fox also included him as a guy to monitor as part of his uh, latest piece on sportsnet.ca from yesterday. Would highly encourage you to check it out where he talks about the fact that even people within the Leafs organization, Sheldon Keefe has said it and hinted at it multiple times, they're well aware that they're very left-handed heavy and they feel like that is a serious, serious flaw for them. My question is, out of all those names you just listed and rhymed off, 
are you willing to part with a first-round pick as part of a trade for any of those players? Or, if it's not even a first, are you willing to part with one of your elite high-end prospects as part of one of the deals to get a player that might be able to help you more in the interim but is also still under contract for an additional season? The only guy that I'm willing to part a first for is Adam Larson. Okay. The only guy. Because I think Adam I think Adam Larson... Adam Larson will always be part of the... Uh, the deal is one for one <laughs> yeah, conversation. Right. Yes. And that was the deal for Taylor, Taylor Hall. Hall. It was a, re- in hindsight, it, yes, it was a ridiculous trade. Taylor Hall went on to win an MVP with the New Jersey Devils, which is a weird, it's a weird MVP in the annals of hockey history. Big time. No, probably will never happen again. Yeah. Like it's something a, like that will never happen. It's again. a weird one for me. But anyway, point being is that I think Adam Larson has proven that he can be a steady influence. And he he does, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of offensive upside, but he's got more than some of those other guys. So at least you get that along with it. So he's not a complete stone finger on the ice. Like he's not, <laughs> he's not a guy that's just, you know, clubbing along. He's not like Ilya Labushkin. Yeah. Right. Like he, yep. he's got off, he's got a little bit of offense in his game. So that's the only guy that I would consider. And I don't think that Seattle lets him go for less than a first round pick. With especially considering what he's still under contract. Yeah, he's, he's got one more year to them. Hundred percent. Right and and does Seattle think that they can compete next year if they decide that they can't compete this year? And I think that they believe that this offseason they're probably going to go out and try and bring in a couple of big names because they need that there. So I think that that that's where the conversation gets a little bit murky surrounding a guy like Larson. If he was a pending UFA, then maybe that's a different conversation. We already outlined that Chris Tanev is going to hit free agency in the offseason. Outside of an extension, yeah, but I don't think that but, that's happening but I, in Dallas. I agree. I think the fact They've that... They've got it, other more important things that they have to take care of. Also, and we alluded to this, just by virtue of the situation they're in, cap-wise, and also with the wealth of young prospects and players that they have that are either currently on their roster or in their, in their farm system... They feel comfortable with like, hey, we're we're fine if this is a pure rental situation. No big deal. We'll, yeah, we have enough in our in our uh, in, in our cabinets to ensure that we're we're going to be just fine. I do wonder this this problem isn't just going to exist in a vacuum where we're going to talk about it for a week and say, well, you know, the Leafs better find that right-handed defenseman that they can add and and have a solution, and preferably it's somebody that's playing alongside Morgan Riley. I, I don't think that it's just going to exist in a vacuum of this one week time frame, it's going to be something that is going to linger regardless of if they do make a deal within the next eight days to actually augment the blue line to add an additional defenseman. I think this is bigger picture still going to be a problem come the off season. And I do wonder how they go about trying to solve this Rubik's cube equation of figuring out, okay, what does a Bradtree living blue line really look like because that's the one area of this team where he hasn't like, I think the four group, he's probably content with a lot of what's gone on there. And, and, his and he moves, made any, yeah, he, yeah. It, I was and I was going to say his two big free agent moves from this past off season were to address that area and to add a different, a little bit of different flavor with guys that are still skilled, have some offensive upside, but with the overall intention of them being impactful players come postseason time. The blue line is a different story. It's It was relatively untouched. They have TJ Brody, who's going to be a free agent. They have 
a lot of different questions. They are going into the final year and the cap's going up. They're going into obviously the final year of Mitch Marner and John Tavares' existing deals. So how do you go about constructing the blue line moving forward? Because I think that's going to be a question that's going to linger, let alone within the next eight days. It's going to, it's still going to be there in three months from now when the season's done and dusted. And now you have to reassess where you are. Is Morgan Riley a guy that has been miscast? Can he truly be a number one defenseman and anchor on a championship winning team? And I think you and I both agree on that answer is probably no. So if that's the case, I wonder how he's going to approach trying to reconstruct or add different pieces to that blue line long-term. Yeah. I, I think he, I, I think Brad Living is a smart guy and he knows what he needs to do. I don't think this defense is anything near what we believe Brad Living's image is. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. I, I believe that this, this defense is going to TJ Brody, probably not going to be back. Probably won't be back. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that Jake McCabe is going to be back. Like there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of over. We saw a big overturn. Jordano uh, will probably be gone. Well, is it a one year deal? Was it one year? Yeah, He's left, got one right? year left. Yeah. Mark Jordano probably ends up in the front office. Yeah. That's my guess. But like, just not on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Just not on the ice. But so I, I think that there's going to be, a, we saw a big turnover in the forward group this off season. Look at this forward group comparatively to last year. There's a big turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be guys coming up from the AHL, whatever the case may be, or the three guys that they brought in. And when you look at the defense, I think we're going to see another overhaul this offseason just on the defensive side of the puck. Um, when we look at the Leafs in terms of comparing them to other teams in the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. how do you believe that they stack up? Because I think there, I feel like there are three teams that are better. Okay. Whether they, they are marginally better or a lot better, I think there are three teams that are better. There's one team that I go back and forth with. Um, so I'll lay it out here and then you you can agree or disagree. I think the Rangers, Bruins, and Panthers are better than the Leafs. Okay. I think they're better suited to go deep in the playoffs than the Leafs are. The team that I struggle with trying to figure out is the Carolina Hurricanes. Because I believe that the Carolina Hurricanes have a really good team. I believe that they play a style that is conducive to winning in the playoffs, but their goaltending has even more question marks than the Toronto Maple Leafs do. And it's not because of, you know, Pyotr Kachetkov is, is talented, but he's still young and there's still lots of questions. I mean, you could probably say the same thing about Joseph Wall, whatever. But the other two guys behind him, like Auntie Ranta's always hurt. Freddie Anderson, we don't know when he's going to be back. So that's the team that I kind of struggle with. But would you would you agree that there are three teams that you can say are better than the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? Yes. So those three. I think it's those three. I I I agree wholeheartedly. They're just based on where Philly is in their development curve right now. It's been a great story, but they're better than Philly. Tampa, you know, Tampa is the other team and people say, oh, you never know with Tampa, but they may not even get into the playoffs. That's the thing. They're not, and they're not the same team, Maddie. Like, no, with, they're not. The, the, the wear and tear, it's, they're a little bit longer in the tooth. It's, it's starting to get to them. Um, all the miles are adding up and you're seeing it's having a, a, an effect on this group after all the success that they've had. So they're not the same team. Yeah, they're still good. They could be a playoff team. They're, they're fighting for their playoff lives, but they're not the same team. Detroit, fun story. Another team that's on and an upset. Fun story. Great story. Awesome to see them back in the playoff conversation. 
But yeah, the Leafs are better than them. Uh, Carolina, if they had a, maybe a, a more concrete solution in net, and if there was an extended run of even Freddie Anderson being in there and we saw a guy that looked competent, then maybe we would feel better about it. But I would still be more comfortable and confident in the Leafs than Carolina, given that situation right now. I think it's those three teams. I, I totally agree. And now, can the Leafs beat any of those teams in a best-of-seven series? They absolutely can. They they definitely can. Do I see a scenario where they're going to play, for example, if they end up winding, they wind up facing Florida again, would I be, as a betting man, the betting man that I am, would I be putting money down on the Leafs to beat Florida? Probably not. Here, Probably not. Here's Here's where, this is where when I look at those three teams that I believe are better than Toronto, I look and say, I think the Rangers, not I think, I know the Rangers have a better defensive group, and I think they have the higher upside in net with Shesterkin, and Jonathan Quick's been really good this year. The Bruins have a much better defense than Toronto does, and you can start either Allmark or Swayman, and you're way more comfortable than you are with Toronto's goalies. Mm -hmm. I could say the same thing about the Florida Panthers. Their defense is better. Even if you were to just look at, at it being kind of sort of top heavy with Ekblad and Montour, but Gustav Forsling is, has been a really nice piece for them as well. So there's three defensemen that I'd probably rather have than a lot of defensemen in Toronto. And Sergei Bobrovsky stonewalled this team. He can get hot. <laughs> Not saying that the Leafs goalies can't get hot, but the proof is in the pudding. We've seen it with yeah. Sergei Bobrovsky. The guy's a Vezina Trophy winner. The Leafs don't have that. I also like their forward mix. I like the way that they play. It's not even that they're the most talented forward group in the world, but it's just they 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 gel, they mesh really well together. Like they they just have a a, and a, they, a unique and they play synergy. playoff hockey all the time. That, they're yeah, nasty. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's and Paul Maurice is such a fantastic coach. I love Paul Maurice. Potential I love Team Paul Canada Maurice. head coach. Yeah, I think he's honestly really deserving of an opportunity there's, there. There's so many. That is a that is a conversation that is going to be very interesting. Like. What about Rod Brindamore? Yeah, no, there's John, just a John lot of Cooper should be near or at the top of That's that list. Too. That's true. Bruce Cassidy just won a Stanley yeah. Cup. Yeah, God, but I think Paul Maurice would be a perfect coach for that kind of situation. That that environment, I think he'd be great. I just want Paul Maurice for the quotes. <laughs> he'd be excellent. Paul Maurice is like one of the smartest men in hockey, and his his post games are so eloquent and yeah. like thoughtful and, and he swears every once in a while That's which great. makes me think that he's just like us just like us <laughs> just like us he's like the common folk you yeah i love it uh but john cooper's awesome too like the fact that john cooper's never won a jack adams trophy is absolutely ridiculous do you think it really matters if like i mean the leafs are third in the atlantic right now and I, coming into the season we talked about how there's one thing that throughout this entire era they haven't done which is win the atlantic and how that could have been a good little benchmark or, or objective to to potentially target and pursue this year. Does it matter that they're going to probably finish third again in the Atlantic? Does it matter at all? Um, well, it doesn't it, matter what you think. <laughs> it does. It doesn't matter what. It, no, I, I think that I used to really battle with, you know, the Leafs and home ice. Well, their home, their home record sucks. It's not sucks, but they're 15, 11 and two. It's not great. It's not great. You're supposed to be good on home. Like, the, not good, sorry. As the gif would say, not great, Bob. Yeah. 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 Even though it doesn't speak, that's yes. what it says. And so that's why I'm kind of just like, I don't think it matters as much because that was the whole thing with playing Tampa. Oh, you got to get home ice to play Tampa. Like, okay, you got over that hump and then you had home ice against Florida. Didn't matter. It didn't matter because yeah. you stunk. So 
The fact that the arena is a morgue on most nights. <laughs> you love when I rip that arena. I do. The word that I love, and it's it's Josh who has coined this term to to describe it. It's very sterile. It's a sterile environment. Yeah. Sco- I think I think it's great. I, love, Scotia I Blank, love that. Scotia Blank Arena. Oh when the, man. When the Leafs play there. Oh. It's just so to me. I just don't see the home ice advantage for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Other than being in your own building, I don't I, I don't see it. So I don't think that – you know what matters for me with this Leaf team? Playing hard games down the stretch where you're maybe not gar- – like they're not – they're getting in. But yeah. they're not oh, yeah. they're not guaranteed to get in. So you still have to play – like last year and the year before, from they were home and cool from January. Yeah. And that to me is not – you know, it's not conducive to playing a playoff type mentality or playing with a playoff type mentality down the stretch. Whereas Florida yes. played playoff hockey literally all season to get in. No question. I and was... look what happened. Boston, home and cooled from like Eliminate, November. Yeah, eliminated November. in round one. Eliminated in round one. I mean, that means something. Like, look at the one thing that I always go back to in sports is remember the year that the Rockies were like. 10 games out of a playoff spot with like a month left. And everybody's like, huh, they're done. They go on like a 16 game rip. Yep. They went, I think it was like, they won 17 of their last 18 games, something like that. They get into the playoffs and they're rolling and they get all the way to the world, world series. series. If they had won, that would have been one of the best stories that we've ever seen. Much like the St. Louis blues. When they won the Stanley Cup, stories like that. they were, yep. yeah. But what I'm saying is the, the, the difference is, is that those teams played meaningful games for a longer stretch of time. This Leaf team, especially this Leaf team cannot just go, we just flipped the switch. We're nope. playing in the playoffs. They can't do that. Not capable of it. No. So we saw they them fall asleep pl- coming back from a road trip. You think they're going to wake up and flip a switch? Yeah, they no, goes, they're not. Game they're 83. Not. Now it's like, okay, it's on lights on. Let's the, go. The proof is in the pudding there though. It, it is. You know, one of their most competitive series that they've had where they played like a real playoff type of brand of hockey was the rookie year for Austin Matthews against the Washington Capitals. They had to scratch and claw to get into the playoffs, and they pushed that Capitals team. They lost in six, but they pushed that Capitals team. That's where, to me, the proof is in the pudding with this group. When they do not, when they play low calorie games in February and into March, and then come April when the playoffs roll around, I don't see where this team has had any success. With that, not that it's a strategy. Sometimes you're just better than everybody else. But I think the fact that sure. the gap has closed a bit where teams in the East are getting better mm-hmm. and the Leafs have kind of, you know, from a regular season perspective, have kind of come back down to the pack a little bit. I think that benefits them because I think if you play those hard games where you're not guaranteed to get in, that's where I think the difference gets made. Here's where I'll just say one, one quick, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, one quick criticism of... Of that point right there. Sure. They've never won the division anyway. Like, they've technically been in this position. Now, has their playoff fate been Look more at the secure? team. Florida and, and Tampa I agree. and Boston I, no. have all been really good their, in that stretch. Their playoff fate has always been fairly secure during that stretch. Without winning the division. Right? Yeah. Without winning the division. But it's not like they're in a diff- they were in a different world. The only year where you could point to that is the weirdo Canadian division year where they were by far and away the best team in that mm-hmm. division. How did that work out for and them? It, exactly. But, <laughs> but aside from that though, it's not like they've every year. Okay. 
well, we're not going to put the Atlantic Division banner up, <laughs> even though they probably would if they did, if they won the Atlantic. Oh, they would 100% ki- do it. Are you <laughs> kidding? They would It'd be a it. whole thing. But I'm just saying, it's so that's it's not like that's the picture we're painting here. Um, so they still had the pressure of not necessarily being guaranteed a playoff spot traditionally because they were the three seed in the Atlantic for many years. Yeah. Uh, we got to take a break. Um, more Leafs talk with Luke Fox at the top of the next hour. But when we come back, he's the former Blue, J- Blue Jays GM, former executive with the Mets, the A's, and the Giants. And he's got a new podcast, The Brushback with JP. JP Ricciardi will join us when we come back. You're listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's not Hotel California. It's the Fan Morning Show. I could use a hotel in California right about now. That would be sweet. You can check in and you can leave, but I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> I wouldn't advise it because you're going to miss great content. Uh, and you would miss our next guest. Yeah, I, I who, do not want to miss this. Who will I'm be excited. providing great content himself. It's J.P. Ricciardi, former Blue Jays GM, as well as former executive with the Mets, A's, and Giants, and now member of the dark side, the media, host of the Brushback <laughs> with J.P., the podcast. J.P., how are you this morning? I'm good. I'm a little disappointed. You guys keep keep considering yourself the dark side. Uh, you know what? It's what the great it's what the great unwashed fans call us is the dark side. We are just giving the information. We are just merely passing it along. And for you, um, it's a new venture. It's it's not you know being in a baseball front office. You just wrapped up with the San Francisco Giants, like. Why now, JP? Like, I know you you are always gracious with your time coming on this station, especially. But why now make the jump? Was it just, you know, time for time for a change? Well, anybody who has who travels for a living will understand 43 years in baseball, you know, from playing and coaching and managing and, you know, any any realm I've been in. It it takes its toll on you. You know, you you miss a lot of things in life. I mean, I, I, I have a great wife. Uh, who's been with me for 40 years and you know it's just a little bit of time for us to spend some time together and not have to be packing a suitcase and heading out the door and uh you know we only we all don't know how much time we have left on this earth so i'd like to enjoy some of mine that i'm healthy enough and uh you know i just also felt that at this point i wasn't being utilized as much as i really was hoping to be with the giants and i just felt like at this point it was probably a better time to try a different direction jp before we get into some baseball stuff there was one other item i wanted to cover with you uh, in terms of this new endeavor with your podcast it's also your first foray into social like you're on the social networks now you're out there you got twitter fired up or x i mean i I know maddie and i have tried to make an agreement here where we don't want to call it x um so you're new to twitter You've been on it for, I mean, what, it's been 72 hours or so since your account launched and, and you've shared some clips from the pod and, and your thoughts on the Blue Jays have been uh, among some of the tweets that you've shared. What have you made of the Twitter experience so far? It's new. How, how do you like it? Well, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I know you you guys are used to Gibby. I, I'm probably a notch up from Gibby. <laughs> okay. okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's saying much, but... Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to be very uh, upbeat and positive on my 
posts. Uh, this not what this podcast is going to be about. It's not going to be a shock jock Howard Stern type approach. Uh, we're going to you know talk about the great things about the game and and promote the game and talk about the current events and talk about the inside of baseball that most people don't see. So you know we're going to post it and and do whatever we have to do to make people aware of of what's going on. So. So far, so good. You know, I, I don't really spend a lot of time on it personally, but uh, no, I know it's an avenue today that you have to use to uh, to touch people. So, you know, we're going to, like I said, we're going to do it, but we're going to do it a positive way. It's a question I'm always curious to hear the answer to from people that either like you or, or people who are first just their, their initial foray and experience in that, in that sphere, because there are so many people, myself included, that are just completely inundated with social media and the information that we get from there all the time, 24-7. So I'm always curious. I find it refreshing to hear the perspective of somebody that's just kind of seeing it for the first time or getting a feel for what that is like um you know in your first answer there when we're talking about the podcast and sort of the genesis behind it you referenced your time with the giants and in in preparing and researching for this interview yesterday I, i had a thought that popped into my head and i was curious to get your opinion on it um you know we've we've seen how the game has steadily evolved over the last you know 10 15 years analytics playing such a prominent role in today's game and as somebody who has previously sat in the seat of being a major league gm a major league baseball gm especially namely of course here with the toronto blue jays during your tenure what's sort of the biggest evolution that you've experienced when it comes to that role in that position how has the list of responsibilities potentially expanded or changed or adapted um over the last 10 15 years that you've been in this business well i mean that's 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 a loaded question in a lot of ways uh i would say that what's changed the most is the dynamics of front offices uh i think they have Changed in a sense that they are more analytically driven, probably run by more people with not a traditional baseball background. There's more, for lack of a better word, non-baseball people now running teams that did not come up the way the people in my generation did, who are usually ex-minor leaguers, ex-major leaguers, uh, scouting player development background and kind of worked your way up and learned the, the, the steps along the way. And, uh, you know, now it's, it's, it's very, very sterile. I don't think there's a lot of fun in our game. I think uh, someone had a great quote the other day about our business. You know, it's, it's not the circus I'm going to miss. It's the clowns. And I think it's the clowns that made up our business, the, the, the characters. And we've lost that. We've lost, we've lost what baseball used to be about. It used to be about uh, personalities. It used to be about relationships. You know, I hear the buzzwords all the time, inclusiveness. Uh, we're going to be more open. We're going to be that. I don't think baseball could be further from the truth. I think most front offices today are buttoned up. There might be one or two people who are making decisions. I don't think scouting directors have the say they used to have. I don't think farm directors have the say they used to have. So it's changed in that way dramatically. And I think we've pushed out so much of the people that represent experience in our game that actually have pelts on the wall that can come back and tell you where they were successful and where they failed. And that's out the window now. And I think so many of these organizations are being driven by people that have all the answers. They want to be the farm director, the scouting director, the manager. They want to make out the lineups. They want to tell managers when to make moves. They want to be able to tell them how to use their bullpen, who they can use today, who they can't use. This guy needs a rest. 
Uh, we want to be able to tell the scouting director how they should draft. We want to be able to tell the farm director, this is how we're going to teach hitting. This is how we're going to teach infield play. Uh, so that is where the game has really changed. And because of it, we've lost the people that actually have a heartbeat on our game. And it's a very, very sad place for me in baseball right now. I don't know what's more sterile. The, the, your, the, the, that description was very accurate. I don't know if it what was worse, that or the jerseys that the players are wearing this year. I don't know, JP. <laughs> I'm really not sure. Um, okay, let, let's, let's focus a little bit on the Blue Jays here because you did have a couple of things on your Twitter account about the Blue Jays. And, you know, and for those that want to follow you, it's uh, at RichardiJP, correct, on X? Correct. Okay, so yep, for anybody correct. that wants to follow, there's some good stuff on there. Thank you. And so, you know, the, the guy that we always come back to every, seemingly every single year, especially over the last few years, is Vladdy Guerrero Jr. And when, I, when we talk about the offense and where this offense is going to go, it's going to be led, hopefully, by Bo Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. We know, or at least we're pretty sure what we are going to get with Bo Bichette. But when it comes to Vladdy, and you've, you've, you've watched him, you've seen what he's done over the course of his career We've kind of seen him plateau here a little bit. Are you of the belief that from what we've seen from him outside of that 2021 season, which was an MVP caliber season, is this the norm of Vladdy, or do you still think that he has that MVP caliber offense in him? I really do. I, I think he's too good a hitter with too many pluses on his side offensively. You know, off the top of my head, how old is Vladdy now? 25, 26? 25, I think. Yeah. 25. He's still a puppy. I mean, I mean, we got Jason Tatum in Boston, who's 25 years old, and he's played seven years in the NBA. And, you know, people forget he's only 25 years old. So I think in Vlad's case, he's in the, been in the big leagues a long time. Um, it would not surprise me if between ages 25 and 32, he has one or two MVP uh, years in there. I think he's he came to the big leagues young. You know, he's a bit of a free swinger. But... He's got excellent bat-to-ball skills at times, and he's got power. So there's too many pluses in his game that lead me to believe that he's going to be nothing short of a, of a very, very productive offensive player. And I think if he can get guys in front of him on base, you know, that's going to be a byproduct of him being able to drive runs in. But he's just too good of an offensive player. I think what's happened in Toronto is they're so used to seeing Vlad, and they have such high expectations of him that sometimes you know the, the, he lets him down because he doesn't hit all the expectations. But that's a very, very good offensive player. I think now coming into the prime of his career, I, I would not be surprised if the next few years he absolutely takes off. I think that's very well said. Uh, I think his baseline is what we've seen in the last couple of years, which is still a very, very good major league player, an excellent above-average major league hitter. It's just, to your point, the expectations, he hasn't – necessarily been able to consistently meet those expectations part of that might be hey i don't want to say he was overhyped but it's the reality of this era that we live in in terms of well we've been tracking this kid since he was 16 17 years old first signed by the organization everybody's been waiting years and years and years to finally have the opportunity to lay eyes on him and see him perform at the major league level and when there's any ounce of struggle involved it's like it's a major deflation and it's disappointing that he's not meeting those expectations that were insanely high from the moment he was signed as a young kid, a young teenager coming out of the Dominican Republic. Also, by the way, JP, he's 24 years old, so he's even younger. He'll be, 20, yeah. he'll be 25 uh, next this All coming right, month, so yeah, March. I, that's even, I it mean. Puts it, even, it puts it even more in perspective. I, I This kid is going to be 
an exceptional Major League Baseball player. I just hope for Toronto's sake they're able to keep him in Toronto because his prime is still coming up. And I think I would not be surprised if he took off this year, and I would not be surprised over the next five years if he's not one of the most elite players in the game. Okay, so that's a perfect segue because that's sort of where I wanted to trend next when it comes to Vladdy and also looping Bo into this because those are obviously the two major pieces of this core here in Toronto, and both guys are set to become free agents after the 2025 season. So they've got two years of service time left and control left here with the Toronto Blue Jays. I, and I think it's interesting. This, this season feels really critical in terms of their competitive timeline because you probably don't want to go into a, a situation where you have both of those guys in the final year of their contract in 2025, and it might feel like a bit of a lame duck season from that standpoint. So if you're in the shoes of Ross Atkins, how do you go about approaching some of those discussions internally and the negotiations with their representatives when it comes to figuring out who might be, if it's possible, A, to keep both of them, or which of the two might be more realistic to keep long term well i think the first question is you have to go to ownership and say do you want to do this and if ownership says what do you think the commitment's going to be and you have to lay it out uh x amount of dollars you know is is bo bichette a bobby wick contract you know is vlad guerrero a bobby wick contract so you have to sit there and go to ownership and say for us to keep these two key players this is what we're probably going to have to do this is what the market dictates this is what their ability dictates this is what we're going to have to do because they're going to have to buy them out of their free agency. So it's going to be an ownership decision that decides, um, you know, whether we want to go forward with this. Now, it might be an ownership decision that says we want one of these guys and not two of these guys because, you know, we want to be able to continue to to support our team uh, financially going forward. But ownership's going to have to give them direction. And then at that point, you know, you, you would try to think that they would be proactive and try to approach them. I think the one challenge is they're both young, uh, I think in Bichette's case, you know, obviously he's American. He may say, I want to see what other opportunities available in the States. Uh, me personally, I think Toronto is one of the greatest cities in the world. And I love Toronto. And I think players, once they get to Toronto, realize how great it is. So maybe that works in his favor in the sense that he's had experience there. But all these guys have egos. Don't forget that. They all realize that, uh, you know, someone else is going to offer them something. They all want to know what the market is like. And I think that's the challenge when you're not proactive in trying to get these guys. You, you can't let them get the free agency because if, they, if they're close, like you said earlier, they're going to want to dip their toe in the water and see who else is out there and what they're offering and what opportunities, you know, I have. So, you know, they're great challenges to have. But they are challenges because everybody's got an agent that's telling them this team might be available. You know, I've always found this. When when players are coming up, their number one drive is to get to the big leagues. They get to the big leagues. Their number two drive is to make as much money as they can. Once they make as much money as they can, their third drive now becomes, I want to play for a winner. And that just seems to be the way players fall in line from a standpoint of their career. Once they're financially sound, they sit there and say, I want to find a place that's a winner. So I think in both Bichette and Guerrero's case, they're going to want to know what Toronto's commitment is to continue to try to put a winning product on the field. 
Uh, a quick one before we let you go, JP. When you, you speaking of that, you know that winning organization. When you look at this team as constructed, do you look at this team and say that could be a winner because offensively they, you know, they were pretty bad. <laughs> Let's face it, last year their pitching staff was great. Um, do you see a team that could, you know, be dangerous this year, or do you see a lot of like, okay, they they could be, but I, I can't really see the the high end impact that this team is going to make. I like the team. I like the team a lot. I, I think the keys for this team are going to be Bo and Vlad. And they're both great. I'm big fans of both of them. I think they're going to rise to the occasion. The pitching staff is going to have to post. They're going to have to get 150 to 200 innings from those five guys. I don't think they have a lot of depth behind them, but they've got a very, very formidable staff. Someone's going to have to step up and be the ace. I think it could be Gosman. Um, but I think if the staff can stay healthy, and I think if they can post, and maybe at the trading deadline, if something goes wrong with the staff, they add somebody, there's, there's no reason this team is not capable of winning the American League East. Now, I know it's a tough division. It's still the toughest division in baseball. But I think health and consistency from their pitching staff that keeps them in games is going to be the, the key to their success. But I, I like the team a lot. And, uh, you know, listen, barring injury, one of those guys go down. and it, But that's the same with every team. Someone goes down. No one has the resources to fill those guys in. I know they got a Brown's got a couple of arms behind them in the younger kids, but it's not the same with the younger kids as it is with the veterans. So I do like the team. Uh, I think uh, I think they're going to have a fun year in Toronto. Uh, we're hoping that from this perch over here. I'll tell you that much. Uh, JP, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. Really appreciate it. Good luck with the podcast. It's the brushback with JP, and uh, we're looking forward to checking it out. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, thanks for having me, guys. Take care. There he goes. J.P. Ricciardi, former Blue Jays GM, also former baseball exec with the Mets, A's, and Giants. And, of course, like we mentioned, the brushback with J.P. Toronto Blue Jays baseball on Sportsnet or streaming on Sportsnet radio as the Phillies come to TD Park in Dunedin. First pitch scheduled for just after 1 p.m. Time now for Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook 19-plus bet responsibly. We're looking at the Leafs taking on the Arizona Coyotes tonight. The Leafs... Um, Minus 250 on the money line. Uh, the puck line minus one and a half. Toronto, the over and under set at six and a half. Coyotes, uh, not been good. Ten game, a 10 game road losing streak. Bat down at the bottom of the central. The Leafs 33 17 and eight. Uh, eight wins in their last 10 games. Um, but we know about the struggles at home of 15 11 and two. Daniele Franceschi, who is three and oh this week on his picks, the savant. Where are you leaning tonight? Play the total, Maddie. You like that total? I'm eh? going to take the over. I'll play the total. I think we can see some goals. And as as much as like Ilya Samsonov has been good since returning and rejoining the Leafs uh, regular, or do we see Joseph Wall? Well, well that's a great that's discussion point question. that we we have not hit on that. I've been advocating for that all week long. This is the perfect time. Nevertheless, um, if it is Samsonov, he's been good. Uh, he's been as steady as you can possibly want him to be. Still gives up. He's still, he's still got a propensity to give up some goals. And Arizona is lost, Maddie, 13 straight games coming into this one. Yeah, it's not Not great. very good. So I think we could see some goals. I'm not a fan of, like, playing the spread or the puck line or the or the money line here. No. So give me the total. I'll take the over. That'll be my play. I will join you on the over. I will also say um, I'm going to take the Leafs on the puck line. That was such the performance on Tuesday night. I get was just skittish so, with them, though. I I know, and <laughs> and Arizona has had a lot of success in Toronto. 
I think the Leafs come out piss and vinegar tonight. Austin Matthews scores two. I think that we're, I think we're rolling the train, the train back to 80. It's probably closer to 75, but whatever. <laughs> I think, uh, I think the Leafs. So <laughs> Danielli takes the over. I'm taking the over as well. I'm also taking the Leafs on the puck line. That was wake and rake presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus bet responsibly more Leafs talk. When we come back, the great Luke Fox, from Sportsnet will join us. We'll talk about the goaltending question. We'll talk about the potential bounce back and what the Leafs do now that Chris Tanev is off the board. All that and more when we come back. It's the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. You're listening on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.